Ronananian. When we retire, Tom and I are going to write a book about episodes in, in, of self-syndicating a radio show and what the things we've been through. And there are things that people just won't believe, and they're going to say, you're making it up. Oh, no. The Car Doctor. Generally, a rough idle complaint on one of these is the engine is running lean. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, he. Hey, it's time to start your engines once again. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here talking to you about your automotive problems, whatever you've got going on, fender to fender and door to door. We've got a lot going on this hour as well as always, and we're going to get right back into it. We've got Rick from Pittsburgh on the line. He's a holdover from the last hour, and we're going to continue our conversation about his 04 Buick and the loud noise from the engine itself. Rick, you're still there, sir. I am. Thank you for waiting. Thanks for hanging around. Um, You know, my concern is that using the Internet to try and diagnose it doesn't replace a trained ear. And, you know, you can hear up top, but you can also hear more down below. And I think getting it up on a lift and listening from underneath and then changing load on the engine, putting it in gear and drive and reverse, does it make any difference? you know, is, is is going to become part of this process. Because you're right, it could be a flywheel, it could be a timing chain, it could be a rod knock, it could be something, you know, far worse where it's internal engine fault. So, you know, a trained mechanic's ear, which we can have the conversation about finding a trained mechanic, that's a whole nother problem. But, you know, getting a trained ear in there um, wouldn't, wouldn't be, you know, a, a bad idea. Now, if someone were to think this was engine and, you know, internal in the engine, then it's a question about at what speed. A good mechanic can tell. Is it at crank speed? Is it at cam speed? If it's if it's at crank speed, then we're going to start thinking about, you know, something connecting rod piston noise, something like that. If it's at cam speed, we're going to start talking about, you know, lifters. We're going to start talking about valve train noises, rocker arms, things like that. You know, so that's not completely impossible either. Now, has have you done anything to diagnose this at all? Taking the serp, taking the serpentine belt off the front of the engine and run it without the belt on it, anything like that, or no? You've just done research. No, a friend of mine did take the belt off, and uh, he felt like the, the noise was a little less loud with the belt off, which is what he had him thinking timing chain. Um, but someone else had said, uh, like I said, uh, the flywheel, and then someone, you know, and I have friends that are mechanics. But, you know, uh, I agree, getting it up on the lift is going to be critical. The thing that concerns me is, again, finding that qualified mechanic, right. but also find somebody that's not throwing spaghetti against a wall. Right, correct. that's easy enough to do. Correct. But for any of these corrections, we're talking something that's easily $500 a pop. So right. I'd like to get it done the first time, right. not the third. Right. Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with, and I wasn't there to listen, but taking the belt off and having the noise change doesn't make me start thinking about timing chain. Taking the belt off and having the noise 
change or dissipate has me start thinking about could be a harmonic balancer issue, all right? Could also be something that is driven or or drives drives as a result of the belt. Water pump, tensioner, alternator, AC compressor. So, you know, all of that comes into play. If you turn the AC compressor on and, you know, put it in gear, take it out of gear, does that change the tone at all? That, not that I have uh, attempted yet. Okay. The one time where I thought it was loudest was on a particularly cold day when the engine was engaged, when the, I'm sorry, when I was running an idle and it just seemed like it was louder at that point. I don't know if that's a, any telling sign or, or not. Right. Then I, no, I think, um, I think what this is going to come down to is, you know, fully warmed up, get a level. Understand, you know, listen to it. It's this loud, so to speak. And then, you know, just put it in gear. Does it change up in the air? Does it, you know, what makes it different or how does it get to be different? The biggest question is differentiating. Is it inside the engine, outside the engine? Is it in the transmission? Is it in the flywheel? Now, sometimes it might come down to where there's an inspection cover down underneath by the trans and pulling that inspection cover down and cranking the engine around by hand looking for a crack. What I have seen flywheels do over the years is they will crack where the mounting bolts hold it to the crank, and it'll be a hairline crack, and they're sometimes hard to see. But, you know, getting up there with a borescope or a mirror, you can actually look and see and tell, okay, here's, you know, and that will, because that flex plate's moving all the time. That's why I ask, putting it in gear, driving it. Let me ask you this. You know, the difference between sitting at idle with it and putting your foot in it at 30 miles an hour, does the noise get louder when the engine is under load? Well, I'm making sure that I'm not pushing it, and the trips I'm taking are very short just to, like, the grocery store a mile down the road because, obviously, I don't want to take this on any kind of long trip right. and have, if, especially if it's a flywheel. But um, I think when I'm driving it, it's probably a little less heard. Well, is yeah, that, but of is, course is, that's hard to say because you have road noise as well. Right. You have road noise and the engine is down. So here's it. Listen, let's talk about it from this perspective and then I'll let you go. If we were at the shop, one of the ways I diagnose noises is obviously with a mechanic stethoscope. But what I will do is I take the end of the stethoscope off. All right. Mechanic stethoscope is a great tool, but it tends to. It's, it's too fine of, of a meter, in a sense, all right? And what I'll do is I'll take the amplifier off, and I'll just use the tube plugged into my ears, and I'll just use it kind of like a divining rod, just going around the engine compartment, where is the noise the loudest? And then that helps me to zero in, and then I'll plug the amplifier in sometimes and listen that way, all right? That's the way – that's. you said about the mounting bolts, would you mind repeating that? Because that seemed very – About the flywheel? Helpful. Yes. Oh, well, what happens is there's typically six bolts holding the flywheel to the back of the crank. And where those bolts secure the flywheel or the flex plate, it's really a flex plate on an automatic transmission, where it, where it holds the flex plate to the back of the crank. Because that flex plate is, 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 is physically changing state. It's, it's, you know, it's coming to a zero state. It comes out a little bit. The torque converter is riding in and out on the input shaft of the trans and, and as, as its operation, as it's winding up and, and letting down centrifugal force and load. So it's, constant, it's flexing the plate, flex plate. 
um, you know, I have seen it where that that plate does crack, and you will see cracks, tiny hairline cracks around the bolts themselves, the mounting bolts themselves. And you want to hear a noise? You want to hear a noise when a flex plate lets loose? Holy cow! It it sounds like um, you know, like an explosion occurred underneath, and it's loud and very metallic in sound. And that's the other thing that we have to talk about. Is this very metallic in sound, or is this just a knocking noise that's dampened by oil? And if it's if it's the latter, then, you know, obviously it's oil. It's inside the engine or the transmission. If it's external, if it's a loud, metallic kind of a tap or a knock, flex plate, balancer, idler pulley, um, uh, AC compressor, AC compressor clutch, you know, again, what difference do, you know, changing state, you got to think changing state here, Rick, all right? You know, you got to get things to change state and know what changed it, what made the difference, and then how does it change it, and that'll help zero in on it and narrow it down. All well, right, you sir? you have been excellent, and I am so appreciative, and I hope you guys have a most wonderful weekend. You Thank too. You You're very welcome. You take good care. Um, yeah, noises, noises can be a lot of fun to diagnose. You just got to think outside the box, but I enjoy it. You know, gee, he was from Pittsburgh. We had to ask him the Uber question, you know, uh, about the Uber cars because they have they have driverless Ubers in Pittsburgh right now, which I'm informed by my Pittsburgh consultant that the reason anybody know why they picked Pittsburgh uh, to put driverless Ubers in, it's not that they like Pittsburghians any less than any of the rest of us. It's because their variety of buildings and roads and you know obstacles per se is in a very great concentrated area, I'm told, and it, it gives them a better feel overall. For That's why they chose Pittsburgh as one of the cities. Well, then again, could you imagine if they did driverless Ubers in New York? So, although I think they have. I think there already are driverless Ubers in New York, um, just that we don't necessarily know it. Not intentionally. Right, that's what I mean. So, <laughs> Although I have heard, you know, my, my the littlest Nanian said to me, Dad, you got to see the driverless Ubers. This car pulls up, and she says, it's got all these adapters, you know, all these things sticking out of the roof. I, you know, I said, yeah, that's all the computer stuff. I said, you get out there with a pocket screwdriver, adjust that baby. I said, that guy will want to go to downtown Pittsburgh. All of a sudden, he's in Seattle. Next. So. Or you get some wise guy like me who's into radio transmitters and hits it with some radio waves, and next thing you know, it's uh, driving in circles. And it's going around and around and around. It's Sort of like the rest of the country. Anyway, 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie, the car doctor. We're coming back right after this. Don't go away. Hey, welcome back. Ron and Annie, the car doctor. Let's, uh, let's, um, let's get on with the, yeah, right. I know. Oh, let's go to one. I know. Tom's giving me the one sign. That is what I was thinking. I was thinking about Tom. Tom wrote this other message to me. He said, maybe with Uber, they're trying to get rid of people in Pittsburgh. No, Tom, I don't think that's why they brought Uber to Pittsburgh. They like Pittsburghians. All right, it's just a matter of Uber in Pittsburgh was just there as a as a designation. Uh, you know, I want to talk about this real quick. Let me do this before we go to line one. We're talking about Uber and self-driving cars and new technology. And, you know, Tesla's in there too, right, because Tesla's got the electric car. So I got an email this morning from Tesla. They want to – everybody probably got it today. I guess Tesla's sending out emails talking about selling cars – and, um, you know, everybody go buy a car. So I picked out the Model S. Anybody want to guess what a Model S Tesla? And they've got four different ones. They've got uh, a 60 kilowatt, which goes 218 miles. They've got the next one, which is 260 miles. They've got another one, which goes 300 miles. 
and they've got one that goes zero to 60 in two and a half seconds and goes 315 miles. Anybody want to guess what a base Model S 60 kilowatt, that's the base model, a base Model S Tesla goes for on a monthly basis? $981 a month. I don't know how many months very that is. Interesting. <laughs> what I, do you mean, very interesting? It was stupid. Yes, it was stupid. $981 a month. You can lease one for $1,700. I'm sorry, the top of the line Tesla, the one that goes zero to 60 in two and a half seconds, $1,700 a month. A month. I don't get it. I don't get where this technology is going to help us and let us become, you know, more energy self-sufficient. Because all, everything I've read tells me that, you know, it costs more money to produce an electric vehicle than a similar vehicle on gasoline for a similar lifespan. Not to mention who can afford, you know, what, what in my mind is an extra $600 a month payment it's clearly a car for the rich and the wealthy because I, I just don't see it as something for the masses, which is what an automobile was always intended to be. An automobile was always meant to be transportation. We just uh, have to say no. no. Right. And that's exactly right. I, I, and that was the, these, these are the cheap model Teslas. You get the expensive model Teslas. They have, they have Teslas that are two grand a month and more. And I, I don't see it. So um, if somebody's got an opinion on that, I'd love to hear from you. Because uh, maybe we should dedicate a show to that and just talk about Tesla no, at some point. Okay, here's here's the case for a self-driving car, because if it costs that much a month, it better drive me around. Well, it should. But but the point becomes in all seriousness that, you know, they talk about Tesla and electric vehicles such that, I don't know, I, I, I just don't get it. I, I just, you know, it's it's, all right, it takes us off gasoline, but what does it cost to produce and who can afford that? Um, I go back to my original statement. I think electric car technology is here to help the space program because that's that's I think you know we're going to go to solar powered cars and a hundred years from now this is the foundation for it. But right now in this economy, I don't see in this day and age where someone can really consider Tesla as a viable alternative. Let's uh, let's get over to the phones and make that my next viable alternative. Let's go to Keith in Berryville, Virginia, 2006 Caravan, and talking about fuel pumps. Keith, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. Hey Ron, how are you? Right. Uh, let, yeah, my uh, my let, caravan is, is no Tesla, that's for sure. Well, let me let me ask you something, but, Keith. Would you, you know, if if you're out shopping for a new car, I mean, does a Tesla sound attractive to you at nine hundred and eighty dollars a month? Ron, you know, with the depreciation when you drive off the lot, no new car sounds attractive to me. I'd rather <laughs> buy a, a high quality used car than a new car. That's just the way it is. Right. Uh, but do do those numbers add up to you? Almost a thousand dollars a month to not drive for an electric car. I mean, car? okay, you're you're saving on some gas mileage, but not those costs. I mean, no, the numbers the numbers aren't there. It's that's a car, that's a toy for rich folks. Yeah, that's, that's how I see it. Yeah, I agree. Makes no sense. Anyway, how can I help you in your caravan? All right. Well, I got a base caravan. I really like this vehicle. It's a 2006. It's a short wheelbase. They don't make them anymore. With a short wheelbase, has manual windows and manual locks, and I like that because nothing's going to break. It's got 105,000 miles on it. Uh, I put a timing belt on it at about 90K. I put new spark plugs and wires on it recently, new rear shocks. You know, I had the upper ra- lower radiator hoses changed out. My question is this. The car's running great with 105K on it. I use it fairly regularly. I want to keep it. 
for a long time because I can't replace this car. They don't make new caravans that look like this. Right. Um, I want to find out, should I be looking at replacing my fuel pump on this vehicle? It's not acting up now. It's driving fine. But I know if it does go, it just, Carl drifted to the side of the road and I'm stuck somewhere. And I'm planning on keeping it for a while. I know it's not a cheap fix to replace that fuel pump. They've got to drop the tank and all that other stuff. But I also don't like the idea of being stuck on the side of the road, you know, at some point. So if you were me and you were keeping this car for a, or this van for a long time, would you consider replacing the pump now or just rolling the dice and keep on going? Yes and no. And I'll, okay. I'll, ex- I'll explain that, okay? You're, sure. you're having the rotating electrical conversation in your head. That's really what this is okay. about, okay, because you're starting to think about the fuel pump. You know, if it hasn't been done, you're starting to think about the alternator. You're starting to think about the starter, and then maybe you're going to get into, okay, what's the water pump like? Although if you did a timing belt, I'm guessing this is, what is this? The, is this the four-cylinder, Keith? Yeah, it is. It's the base engine. Yeah, I did the, uh, I did the water pump when right. I did the timing belt. Right, so that's been done. So you're starting to have that rotating electrical conversation in your head, and it's a good one to have. You know, the vehicle's 10 years old. It's got 100,000 miles on it. The problems become that if you decide to replace them, you've got to try and find OE-like quality. So you've got to buy some quality components. Not easily done yeah, in this Yeah, I'm going to ask about that, too. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and that's part of this. So, you know, first of all, I believe with all my heart that vehicles come from the factory with the best parts, all right? I really believe that because manufacturers across the board engineer components to last the longest so the warranty word doesn't have to be used. Hey, is this under warranty? Is that under warranty? That costs them too much money. So then we get down to what I'll call second-tier parts, replacement parts. You know, has to be OE-like quality or OE-like manufacturing capability in terms of to be as good as or close to as good as that original equipment part. And that's a concern. Um, I'll tell you what, the clock's going to take me here. Keith, don't go away. Let me pull over and take this pause. When we come back, we'll continue. I'm Ron Anani, The Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Why don't the car doctor? Let's continue with Keith in Berryville, Virginia. Keith, you're still there, sir. Yes, sir. So the conversation for those of us just joining was about Keith wants to replace his fuel pump on his 100,000-mile 2006 caravan, and the conversation is, do you? Here's the deal. It took you 10 years. You know, Are you the original owner on this? Well, you're probably not the original owner. You like, you like to buy used, so you're probably you own this car for, what, five, six years, seven years? Yeah, I, I bought it like six years ago. I okay. had 40 k on it at the time, so I'm the second owner. So you're not going a whole lot of miles, and the problem is to put another 100,000 miles on this car will take you another 10 years. Most yeah, el- give or take. Most, most electric fuel pumps today last into the 150, 160,000 mile mark. It's, it's, it's not impossible. It also depends on a couple of factors, where you live in the country, what blend of fuel you're constantly running through it, and how low on fuel you're always taking the tank because fuel cools the pump. All right, studies show that people that tend to keep, you know, more fuel in the tank 
quarter tank, two-thirds of a tank or higher on a regular basis. All that fuel cools it. Pump runs cooler. It lasts longer. Makes sense. So, you know, if that pump lasted another 60,000 miles, that could be another six, seven years for you. Agreed? Agreed, yes, sir. Sure. And, and then you got to ask yourself what quality of parts going to be available then because then you've got a 16-year-old vehicle. And, you know, gee, maybe we don't need to keep that car on the road anymore. So, you know what, our manufacturing efforts are going to go towards cars that are 10 years old and, and, and newer rather than Keith's 16-year-old caravan because we really don't care about Keith. We're just trying to make money making parts on what's, what's hot, what's selling, right? How many 06 caravans are going to be left in, in, in six years? So that's part of this thought process. I don't think from a, gee, your pump's about to fail perspective, I would consider replacing it from a when can I get or what quality of replacement part can I get perspective, I'd think about it, you know, because now you've at least got control on the situation. Now at least the table is set that you've got a wide variety to pick from. You can probably still get a new pump out of Chrysler. You can get over to your local O'Reilly Auto Parts and pick from, I'm sure, a half a dozen varieties of what they have that works that they like and do a cost comparison there. As a matter of fact, I'd be willing to bet that whatever you get at the Chrysler dealer is probably being manufactured by one of the vendors that sells direct to O'Reilly Auto Parts because as things get more and more condensed in the automotive world, I'm finding more OE parts under national brands now. It's just a matter of knowing which national brands are and you know are and are not and which ones work and which ones don't. And, you know, that's a fact to be considered. You probably won't get another 10 years out of whatever you put in it, wherever you get it from. All right? That's just the way things are. That's just life. It just happens. But what I would tell you is that changing it now will ensure that you can get the replacement part and at least have an understanding of what you're getting and, and, and do a little shopping, whereas five, six years from now, you might have to pick part X when you really wanted part Y. And, you know, it's it's not something you want to be locked into. Um, does that, that make sense? That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, that being said, is there a telltale sign that I'm going to be listening or looking for when the pump is going out, or is it just going to go out one day? Uh, it's like anything electrical, Keith. They can fail in a heartbeat. They can get louder. All right, and that's, you know, typically we see more fuel pump failures on cars where the pumps are run low, tanks are run low, fuel filters aren't replaced, although in 06, I don't remember if there's still a filter external on that. I think it was moved in the tank at that point. I think it was, too. Yeah. I think that's what I read. Right. Yeah. It's a, this is a returnless system, if memory serves me correct. Um, they, they move the filter in the tank, which, listen, there's a reason to change the pump by itself, all by itself, because... That's the one I never got. We we now put the filter in the tank, and you know it's like I keep thinking: Did we start? Did we make magic gasoline in the last ten years that you know all of a sudden it's not as dirty as it once was, and there's no more grit and contaminant? Uh, you know, so changing the filter if it's possible, or changing the pump to change the filter. Although I have heard stories about where there are filters by themselves on certain fuel pumps that can be replaced, but I can't imagine pulling a tank down, taking a pump out, change the filter, and put the 10-year-old pump back in. That one makes no sense to me either. So uh, I know. agree I agree with you on that because I, what I read on the research was that 
you can purchase a, a fuel pump regulator assembly without a new fuel level sending unit, but you also can buy one with the sending unit. My thought is if I was going to do this, just replace all that stuff where you right. got the tank out anyway. The tank's out. Get it over with and, and, and just be done That's what it. I thought. Right. So, um, you know, so yeah. I, I think it makes sense, you know, about, about getting a, a part where you can still get a quality part. And that was my other question for you. I was worried would you go with the, to get a part in it. Sounds like you know you're not going to go ahead and just get a cheap part and put it in there. You're nope. going to you might as well get the highest quality you can, um, so you have the longest longevity on it. Listen, one of the things I'm known for around town, my reputation as a shop is people say he's not cheap, but they also say it's fixed right the first time and it lasts. And then most people will sit there and say, yeah, well, so guess what? It's not that he's not cheap. It's just that everybody else is used to buying cheap parts. And, and that's the difference. And, 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 you know, the quality of the part, the vehicle is only as good as the sum of the parts. And if the sum of the parts isn't that great, guess what? It's not worth anything. So, you know, cheap parts just don't make any sense, not in this day and age. It's got to be fixed right the first time with the best parts you can get because you want to go the distance. Because, as you say, to drop the tank a second time and do a fuel pump over, it's too expensive, number one. Number two, disables you, puts you on the side of the road, which is why you did the fuel pump in the first place. So Agreed. Just, Agreed. Just, just food for thought. Consider the starter, consider the alternator, and I'll leave you with this thought. At 100,000 miles, think about carbon deposits in the engine. And just I just want to mention, hopefully you're doing some kind of carbon prevention program using some type of an additive and uh, just you know something on a regular basis to help cut down on carbon deposits and give you that longevity. And it sounds like you're doing it right. I just want to add that to the pot as well. All right, kiddo? Yeah. I, and I've been adding, I've been adding uh, yeah, treatment to uh, to the tank, and I'm going to keep keep that up. and uh, And I appreciate it. That uh, that's great advice you gave sure. me, Ron. That's why I listen. You're, okay. uh, you're you're right on target. And I thank you. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate you being there all these years, and uh, we look forward to Car Doctor and for a long time to come. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Amy, the Car Doctor, coming back right after this. Welcome back, Ron and Amy, the Car Doctor, rolling along at eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Let's get over and talk to Nora on line two up there in, uh, is that New Portland? Do I have that right? Uh, welcome to the car doctor. Yeah. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, my son has a 2008 Ford Escape, and uh, it has a lot of miles on it, 175,000. Okay. Uh, but in the last year, the throttle cable has broken three times. And the first time he had a mechanic fix it, and then the last two times he fixed it himself. Okay. So the question, uh, it seems to happen when he takes off from a stop. When they fix it, Nora, are they replacing the whole cable, or are they changing the pedal assembly, or are they just reattaching it? They're changing the whole cable. Okay. There's a There's a service kit available from Ford. There's a bulletin. Are you aware of the bulletin? No. Okay. There's a technical bulletin from Ford. Do you have a pencil? Yes. Yeah. Pencil. Uh, I'm sorry. Bulletin number 09-21-9. 09-21-9. If you get your hands on the bulletin, you'll see what they've done is they've come out with a new type of retainer. It's probably, you're probably going to tell me that it's breaking the cable or disconnecting from the pedal assembly down at the pedal inside the car. Do you know if that's correct? Um, it, it's it keeps it's still connected to the pedal. 
but it's breaking a couple inches from the pedal. Right. And, and he said he did get the newer kind of cable that had the plastic, um, that had some plastic assembly on it. Then I'm wondering if he's got a problem with the pedal assembly itself and the angle that it's constantly pulling on the cable the wrong way. Because there was also, this this bulletin talks about a clip to go to the pedal assembly that helps maintain cable integrity. So I'm wondering if this is still part of his problem. That he needs the whole assembly, right. the pedal assembly and the new clip. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're kind of guessing here because we don't know exactly what's been changed or whether it was newer parts or old parts. And just because the other side of this is just because you walk so, in. So he had all new parts put in, and the last, you know, he's gotten the last two from the Ford dealership. Okay. Um, well, what I was going to say was just because they get it from the Ford dealer doesn't always mean it's the latest, greatest. Usually okay, it does, okay. but, you know, again, if we're going to research a problem, we want to make sure, hey, did they put the correct part number in as per the bulletin, or are they just selling out old stock, not realizing there's an updated piece to this? Okay. All right, and my point is, you know, just because I know there's a bulletin for this, let me say it like this. Throttle cables breaking on these cars isn't common. Throttle cables breaking on these cars after the cable replacement is even less so it's less common is less yeah. common. So there's 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 a piece to the and puzzle we're missing. Snap. It seems to snap. Right. So um, so I'm thinking because it's snapped, it's 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 either the angle in relation to the gas pedal to the throttle pedal itself, or it's something to do with installation, or it's incorrect parts. It's 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 got to be something clear cut. So we either need more information, you got to go look at the bulletin, or you got to verify what parts were put in the vehicle. It, 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 it's okay. not more complicated than that. Okay. All okay. right? So, All right. Well, I appreciate you're you welcome. talking to me. you got to look at that bulletin. We'll go from there. If you need me, I'm here, Nora. Right. Let me know what happens. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, let's pull over and take a pause, 855-560-9900. I'm back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron on the end of the car, Doctor, 855-560-9900. I should point out that the 855-560-9900 phone number is a 24-7 number. You can call that number and leave a message, and we will call you back. This show is live on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m., but 855-560-9900 has a messaging service on it, and some of you are finding out about that today because the phones have been so busy and backed up, and we're sorry for that. But you can call 855-560-9900 if you don't get through or if you're calling when it's a non-show time, leave a message and our producer will call you back and get you in the lineup for the next live show. Let's go over and talk to Peter's up in Naples, Peter up in Naples, Maine, 01 GMC, 2500 series diesel. Yes, Peter, how can I help you? How are you, Ron? Thanks Good, for taking my call. You're welcome. What's going um, on? On my truck um, in January, I filled up with diesel. And I got about six miles up the road, and it, it started to die out. And I, my son came up and changed the fuel filter. It was not the fuel filter. I had it towed to a diesel service center. Um, they had taken out, drained the tank, um, and then the, the, the pickup in the fuel tank, it had um, a lot of sediment on it. And they cleaned all that out and put the fuel back in. And I still had a problem for over wait, wait, a month wait, and wait, a half. Wait, wait a minute, Peter. They 
they they put the fuel back in that they took out? Yes. Why would they do that? That's that's the the question I have. I mean, if if the problem started after you fueled up, and they went through the pain of pulling the tank out, and I mean that's that's insane. Um, you, you know, it's 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 you, you took the problem out, cleaned the tank, solved the problem, and put the problem right back in by putting the fuel back in. If it was fuel related, I wasn't there, but from the sounds of it, it sure would make sense. Uh, you know that this is related to the fuel that was put in the tank. Correct. And, um, I, be, and I bet the problem is still ongoing. It, it has been. And they, when they t- they cleaned the screen and took a lot of uh, crud out of there, and the the problem persisted for over a month, and and finally it cleared itself out. And I I brought it to another. Um, service center, and they could not find the problem because above freezing temperature, it worked okay. It worked fine, ran fine. And when it got below freezing, it would die out again. Right. Well, eventually it came out of that problem as I put new new fuel in it, and then, then an injector went on that, and I don't know if that was because of um, something in the fuel, but they couldn't find any any sediment at that point. But now I'm a, I, I like to go camping a lot, and now I I don't trust my vehicle, and right. I don't know if another injector is going to go. Well, let's 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 back up. Let's start here. There's more that can go wrong with diesel fuel. There's probably more that can go wrong with diesel fuel than I have the time left in this hour to talk about. Um, it's it's not just water in the fuel. It's it's um, paraffin content. It's wet, you know fuel, diesel fuel will wax below a certain temperature and actually restrict and act like it's frozen. But it's it's actually the wax content is too high. Um, so we have to worry about waxing in diesel fuel. Uh, you know that's number one. What I would probably tell you what I would tell you to do not probably what I would tell you to do is I would start thinking about either. Overhauling the fuel system, as painful and expensive as that's going to be, and that's starting with a tank flush and then having the injectors tested and flushed and replaced as needed, all right? Um, not to randomly just start replacing injectors, but, you know, they can be flow tested. It's a diesel. This is a science. And, you know, repair, replace as needed. And then starting off with a fresh tank of fuel. You know, diesels are funny critters. It only takes one tank and you've got problems that will dog you for the longest time, and sometimes you never get rid of them, so you've got to kind of bring it back to square, if you know what I'm saying. So as expensive as that might be, now you can try the less expensive route. Do, do this, Peter. Do you have an O'Reilly? Do you, you don't have an O'Reilly Auto Parts up by you in Maine, do you? I do. You do. Get into an O'Reilly Auto Parts. Ask them. Very knowledgeable guys on the counter. Ask them. You're looking for a diesel additive that will help clean up waxing, and poor quality fuel. Tell it to them just like that. What do they have? See if there's something, you know, listen, I'm not one for Band-Aids and a broken leg. If you're a regular listener, you know, I don't believe in miracle in a can. Every once in a while, something comes along that does work, and maybe you'll be lucky enough to find it, and then you can report it back to us, and we can share it with the rest of the listenership. But my point is that before you go through the expense of overhauling the fuel system, perhaps... Something in an O'Reilly Auto Parts 
will help you to do it. You can accomplish it that way. Find more at O'ReillyAuto.com. Good luck to you, sir. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See you. 